Luke 14.25 Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The word disciples is used 252 times in the scriptures. And I think Jesus is trying to get a point through to us. What does it mean to be a disciple and what does it mean to enter into discipleship? What is discipleship. And I just love the little heading in, in, in my Bible. It says, Discipleship Tested. So he's testing the people that are following him, isn't he? And he defines everything, doesn't he? So he sets the standard. He sets the bar. He's the one that creates the expectation. He's also the one that's empowered us to be able to fulfill his expectations. And... Large crowds were going along with him. It's easy to go along with him, isn't it? It's another thing to truly follow him. It's another thing to let him be Lord, as we talked about last week, and allow him to start to plough and till our hearts and our minds. To allow him to be the one that goes to work on our hearts and our minds for the purpose of transformation. But it's easy to go along and never actually enter into that work. It's easy to come along here to meeting after meeting after meeting and never truly enter into what discipleship is all about. Which ultimately, I'm just going to read this out, and these were just my words. Um, discipleship is the transformation of God's people through the carrying out of one's own cross. So discipleship, the transformation of God's people, which is you and I, through the carrying of one's own cross. What does that mean, Greg? It's about the breaking up, the tilling and the plowing of one's heart and mind, getting the wrong fleshly mindsets and attitudes out, and getting the truth himself in, which causes incredible life. Want me to read that again? It's about the breaking up, the tilling, and the plowing of one's heart and mind, getting the wrong fleshly mindsets that we've created out, our version of him out, because our version of truth does nothing but puff you up, really, or lead you into a false sense of security. And so it's about getting all this out, the attitudes that we're holding in our hearts out that aren't of him, so if we're prideful, that's an attitude in our heart. He said, blessed is the poor in spirit. So there's something quite wrong. So we've got to get that out. He's going to plow so that the truth, which is himself, can be birthed within us, which causes incredible life. And Jesus patterned walking with men for three and a half years as one of the major ways in which that was going to take place. The very walking with people doesn't actually transform us, but through the walking with one another, encouraging one another, and being vulnerable in front of one another, and asking the Holy Spirit to come and do the work is what does. 
So, I am the way. What was his way? Well, he patterned it for us to show us what it looks like. And Chris is going to talk about, I think it's Chris is going to talk about that. But I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So discipleship is the commitment to carry one's own cross. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that it's uh, the word of the cross is the power uh, for those who are being saved. Let me read that out. So I don't butcher it, actually. I used to know this off the top of my head, but it's just gone out of my head for a minute. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross, uh, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the word of the cross, Jesus says to carry a cross. What is the word of the cross all about? It's about the death to oneself, isn't it? It's about the death of one's thoughts, one's own mindsets, one's own hearts, attitudes, the death of those, and resurrection life is going to come through the death process which birthed life. So it's about the carrying of one's own cross. And Jesus says, if you don't carry your own cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. It's pretty bold, it's pretty clear, and he says, you know what, you can't actually have other people in your heart greater than me, because if you do, you'll never journey with me, and that's pretty big, isn't it? And he says, will you enter into this thing called discipleship, the plowing? the tilling of the ground, so there can be a transformation of an exchange of my way to yours, so then you're fully able to live out and follow me the way I want to be followed. The cool thing is he does that work as we surrender to it. So I can't do the work. I can't change my own heart. I can't change your heart. I can't change my own mindset. I can't change your mindset. But what I can do is surrender to the process of discipleship and allow him, as I enter into that process, to do the breaking up, the transformational work. And as I do that by faith and trust in him and wait upon him, then this process of change starts to happen, which is what Philippians 2.13 actually says, that, he will go to work and do a work in us for his good and pleasing perfect will. But it is him that does the work in us. So our role in this discipleship process is just to surrender to it. And then I'll find myself being able to follow to the fullness of the measure he's calling me to. It's a pretty strong word, hate, isn't it? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, does he really think that I was supposed to hate my mum and dad? Am I to hate Danielle? No, I'm called to love her. So what's he actually really saying? What's, what's he trying to say to us here? I believe he's saying that, you know, if, if there are people in your heart that are above me, you're going to struggle to follow me to the level I'm calling you to. Because they will always pull you back because they have your heart. You will be more concerned about them than me. You'll be more concerned about their ways than my ways. 
because you've given your heart to them. And yet, if you give me all of you, then I'll actually define all that and I'll inspire change and transformation, transformation in you. And instead of being a binding thing, there'll be a releasing thing. And that's the challenge. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is entering into the process of transformation to have our hearts and our minds change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that in one of the ways, and in a very important way that Jesus modelled, was in walking together. Getting vulnerable for one another. Being humble to be honest in front of one another and just say, this is how it is, Greg. This is how it is, John. This is how it is, Sam. This is how it really is. And then trusting and allowing the Holy Spirit to come and do a work. And that was all said in 9 minutes and 25 seconds. <laughs> so, um, Paul, come and speak to us. Paul's going to come and speak about why our discipleship is so vital in the body of Christ. Okay, since I'm on time, I'm going to go through this relatively quickly because I'm not too sure how long it's going to take. <clears throat> but as I sat and asked the Lord, as I was preparing, this, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to me so that it's not just my thoughts. I just I want to commit my way to you. And this is what he's been speaking to me of just recently, particularly in 1 John. 1 John 1, the first few four verses he speaks, that which, was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Which are as I looked at it, I thought it was quite interesting because it was only one guy writing it. John 17, 11 through 20, he talks, uh, Jesus uh, is recorded in his prayer, I'm no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and uh, I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Thank you, Lord but for those also who believe in me through their word, some 2,000 years later. Hallelujah. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so in that, uh, that uh, those verses I read from 1 John, there's something else that spoke to my heart some time ago as I read in Daniel, Daniel 9, as he reads, in the, in the first year of Darius, the son of Peter, <laughs> I, won't, I won't try butchering the guy's name, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books and the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. 
try not to go on a tangent like that. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and by supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for all those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not heard nor listened to your servants of prophets and spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers and all the people of this land. And what was speaking to me, again, it's one guy writing this. But what was his thinking for both him, John and Daniel? It was a collective, it was a body, it was more than just about me. And in this discipleship environment, what was speaking to me is the fact that it's not just me and God. It's, well, it's all good, it's just me and God. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to end up with a pretty siloed, and I would suggest probably jaundiced view if I stick to that thinking. And that didn't do me too well. Christ has not left us without a reason or without help to be in the answer to his own prayer. That is for us all to be one. He has given us Holy Spirit to empower us to walk this walk of faith with each other. Discipleship was not an uncommon thing in the days of Jesus. People knew what it meant to be a disciple. I suggest we've probably lost that. It never meant to be on my own. As we are in discipleship with Christ, then we must look for Christ in all of us. The challenge is to be humble enough to realize that I don't have it all. I need you in my life. The challenge with that is also is to contend for that together, knowing spirit and truth and allowing Holy Spirit to reveal to us truth in his word. To keep coming back to his word and say, Lord, speak to me and allow Holy Spirit to bring revelation. The discipleship environment requires that we are in relationship with others, as we all to a measure carry Christ in us. And it is in that difference we then are confronted with the depth of the revelation of Christ in our own lives. Galatians 1.16 talks about Christ revealed to me. This is a two-way exchange both to me and from me as we disciple each other. We sometimes see and hear this as sandpaper ministry smoothing off the rough edges. But equally, we can see this environments to realise or to release gifts and love within the family of God. It can be a positive aspect of discipleship as well. I get to express perhaps uh, with Rodney some aspect as I'm working with Mel. As Christ works through me, an unconditional love is expressed and modelled and, and shown to Rodney. Mal sees that and is disciple in that same environment. Where where did that come from? How does how does that happen? And as she takes herself to the Lord and asks and seeks these questions, as he brings that transformation, the modelling of discipleship is bringing this to path. A place to model love in action, a place to express our love for God. This love that we proclaim vertically to God, we demonstrate horizontally to others. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. The true life of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And as we've been talking about this afternoon with some brothers, not just a man-made version of this, but Holy Spirit-led fruit of Holy Spirit.
which means I can love unconditionally, or I have patience when there's something to actually have to have patience over, and I don't have it myself. The discipleship environment in the body will allow challenges to the motivation behind our actions, either directly or indirectly, in response to others' behaviours and our actions, and confront the reality of our true nature. Are our actions God-ordained, or are they self-ordained? Are they in response to his leading, or to my desire? And the reality of that will be expressed when it's challenged. <laughs> well, that's a different look in Jesus. Or it's okay, because I know he's led it. When these motivations are aligned to the Father's instructions, true life and freedom comes. There is no room for self-pleasure, but rather joy from the Holy Spirit that cannot be removed as we go about our daily lives. Quite often, I don't think God has to go and send a whole bunch of things your way. We actually end up going through life, facing life's issues. Of face it. We don't face anything that's not common to all of mankind. And so that in those experiences of life, in the discipleship environment, as I share my life for those who I'm walking with, that that truth that sits in behind his word, that's been revealed. As I walk with Greg and, and I see the truth as I hear him speak and I see the, the evidence of that outworking in his life and I might, it might be expressing something in a slightly different uh, way but it's the same issue that I'm led to seek Christ myself. And Greg talked about you know the cross that I'm led to come back to the Lord myself and say, Lord, well, what Am I prepared to bear that cross that I'm going to die to myself and find my life in you? And without that expression, without the reality of that, I'm missing something. I'll be left to my own devices. Without sharing in the life of others and having humility to be self-aware, to confess and to seek his face and to be transformed, we can miss out on coming into the oneness that our Lord prayed for us to have. Remember Christ's prayer, that we be one. Oneness requires there to be others in our lives. <laughs> I'm speaking about uh, how did Jesus model or pattern discipleship? You know, it used to be, uh, you know, over the, the, well, many big churches thought the mentality of discipleship was basically to run a big conference. You got the biggest or the best speaker in who had written, you know, millions of copies of books. You got a big band in who had had number one hits coming out your ears. You had all the glittering lights. You had all those different things. And if you had all the, the right atmosphere, people would be changed and they'd go away. But then they'd need another prop up next year or the year after that and the year after that. In fact, a lot of times, conferences didn't change a lot of people. Next, your fact, did you know that Jesus never ran a conference? <laughs> he wasn't advertised as a guest speaker at a certain venue. He never had a band play before he got up to speak. 
He simply lived out of the overflow he had with his father and modeled a life surrendered to him. But it wasn't to the crowds or to the religious authorities that he revealed most of that, but to those closest to him. The twelve. And the results speak for themselves. Eleven out of those twelve changed the world. They were prepared to lay themselves down, just as Jesus did. What happened to the crowd? So discipleship is something really, really powerful and important. And that doesn't happen just by gathering. It's how it works together. But look at how Jesus modelled discipleship. First of all, Jesus didn't teach a theory on how discipleship was to be done. There's a big difference between teaching a theory and actually living it out. And he lived it out. So the disciples actually saw something that was genuine and real. And they longed for it. There was something that was attractive about it. And he spoke from that place of reality. Most teachers and scribes in his day taught from a place of knowledge about God. And it produced a lot of pupils who grew up very knowledgeable, but not really ever knowing God or being transformed. What is discipleship all about? It's to be transformed, isn't it? to be changed into his image. He also demonstrated true oneness. Those who got to see and feel the closeness that he had with his Father and the Holy Spirit. There was no division. He walked in that oneness and they, they felt it. They knew it. There's something very special about that. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He revealed his Father to them. He modelled what it was to come under the submission of his father. And he was a man under authority, not someone who was doing his own thing. And his submission brought freedom, not a burden. Man's, when you, you know, when you look at how man does things, it brings a burden. He modelled it, uh, he also created an environment where they could ask questions. And they asked a lot of questions. Who sinned, him or his mother or parents? Why do you speak in parables? They had a lot of questions there. How come the, the fig tree withered? You know, what will happen in the end times? There was all sorts of discussions that took place and a number of times it says Jesus turned to them and said to his disciples. So there was a lot of questions that they asked. But he created the environment for them to ask the questions. And part of the groups that we have, questions are actually really, really important. He also asked the hard questions as well. Not just about what other people think about who do you think I am, but who do you say I am? So an, a, a, an environment for discipleship also has to ask the hard questions. Not just the nice simple ones, but something that gets deep within them. He would also he would also teach in parables to the crowds, but then he would break it down for his disciples so that they understood, so that the revelation would begin to flow. Not that they always understood it at the beginning, but later on they would come into a greater understanding. He was a revealer of the word and mysteries to them. He also demonstrated love and patience with them. Boy, he needed a lot of that. 
You know, as, you, as we've already heard in the last couple of weeks, you know, the disciples, when they had the, the feeding of the 5,000, and later on they get into the boat and Jesus talks about the, the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And I think, you know, did somebody miss the bread? Who, who forgot to bring the bread? Was it you, John? Was it your responsibility? And Jesus is going there thinking, oh, brother. You know? There's that thing of, he's trying to uh, break it down for them so they could begin to understand what he was really trying to say. And the growth curve was all over the place. I was thinking really about all the... Dis- I mean, usually in those days, um, rabbis would choose to themselves... Um, you know, young students that were keen and willing and were star students to go in one way. But Jesus chose 12 dysfunctional guys to disciple. <laughs> and I think, actually, he did a really good job. <laughs> but he had a lot of patience and love to, uh, towards them. He also taught his disciples how to pray. Not the way of the scribes and the Pharisees, but from a genuine heart posture. They'd seen him demonstrate the praying. They knew that he went off to pray. They'd seen him praying. There was something about them wanting to know how to pray. That was real and genuine. He also had to speak into their lives. Ooh, that's not a good one. He had to challenge them over certain things. There were all sorts of attitudes amongst them. Peter trying to stop Jesus from dying or going to the cross. His disciples wanting to call down fire from heaven. There were some of them that got offended when the woman broke the alabaster jar. That could have been spent. You know, who was the greatest? You'll find all of these things in our environments today. Yet Jesus has wanted to work on our hearts. There was another one. He created an environment for them uh, to be stretched. See, it's not just something about talking around a table, but what is God doing in us, outworking in us, that stretches us? I mean, he gave them the loaves and fishes, as an example. Praying for others. They went out and did it, had a go at doing it. The storm. Jesus asleep in the boat. There were all types of situations that they lived through and he demonstrated what, what it was to have faith and to be stretched. Even Peter standing on the water, walking on the water. He also demonstrated what it was to serve each other. He washed their feet. He, um, he also sent them out to have a go in Luke 9. And they returned and they discussed what they had, what they went through. He talked through their, ministers, their mistakes. Restoration and forgiveness came. They made quite a lot of mistakes, but Jesus actually talked them through it. It was after, you know, when Peter failed. um, And in John 21, how Jesus went after him. The casting out of demons. Well, why couldn't we cast that out? And he sits them down and he talks about it. There's all sorts of different things there. He also demonstrated what it was to have compassion for other people. And he mixed with people that, Normal, normally in society you didn't walk with or go anywhere near, but he demonstrated how much his father loved them. He demonstrated who he really was, not to the crowds, but to them. 
And he also showed them vulnerability in some ways too, particularly in the garden. And sometimes, I mean, these are environments where we've got to be able to be comfortable and vulnerable and help each other and share our hearts. He also shared his deepest thoughts, intimacy with his disciples, even with the one that betrayed him. So that's, that's pretty. And he knew, he knew. He also revealed his father's heart and plans. He talked about him going and dying and coming back on the cross, on the th- uh, raising up on the third day, and his father's love towards them. He demonstrated what it was to remain focused on his father, despite all the distractions that were around, being pulled this way and that. And he treated them as friends and servants rather than servants. I mean, there's heaps and heaps of examples that he demonstrated a living reality for us to follow. It was, uh, I mean, you can have no better example than that. The, the whole thing about the, the heart position um, that, that we need to have when we come into discipleship, and this was just something that we were discussing about, and um, as, as we've been talking about it um, through the week and, and as I've been praying about it, I just really felt that, um, and it has been touched on, so it's probably nothing new here, but um, that I need to talk about the difference between what it, what something that looks like a discipleship environment and what is truly designed by God to produce what I call discipleship life. Because I think... Um, we can think that we're in discipleship when we really aren't. Um, this has already been touched touched on already. The, the, the difference is mostly to do with our heart posture um, and also the intention, um, our heart intention and pursuit. Um, and the product of those two environments... Um, I've experienced both, and they're vastly, vastly different. Um, let me just ask another question, and this is something that God asked of me some time ago, and I think it also helps us to define the difference between the two. Do we come to meet about Christ, or do we come to meet with Christ? So how we approach our times together often dictates whether we come into anything of his life and transformation or not. So we can meet and discuss the word. We can argue over truth. Is it this or is it that? We can genuinely want to know what is right. It's even possible to go from one meeting to another, maybe even many times a week, and yet never change. We can seek truth and yet miss him who is the truth. Because we are seeking with our fleshly understanding and reasoning. We are meeting about Christ. This is what the Pharisees did all the time. You might have heard it said that this is the Hebrew way to debate about everything. We can even believe that this is walking in discipleship. But the thing is, contending for truth together is not arguing over truth. Contending for truth in the God-designed process of discipleship 
is actually seeking what Christ would form in us. His truth alive and actively transforming us into his likeness. So if we are meeting with Christ, what needs to be our heart posture? Do we come with our knowledge to teach others or prove a point? Do we come to provoke debate for its own sake? If so, it's highly probable we will not hear anything else. There's no ploughing being done here. We're hard soil, and we might think that we are throwing the seed out. But what's happening in our heart? Have a look at Jesus. How did he describe himself when he asked us to take his yoke on ourselves and learn from him? He described himself as gentle and humble in heart. Isn't this profound? This is the position of the heart that is the doorway into all things in the kingdom of God, including discipleship. Gentle and humble in heart. The heart position, to this heart position is needed to enter into true discipleship life. There is a vast difference in life and the reality of true inner transformation when disciples intentionally gather to seek him with hungry, humble and teachable hearts. Seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? Does that mean going and reaching the lost? What is his kingdom? It's where the king has dominion. So our intention and our movement in every moment, not just in these groups, but in our life, is that the king would have dominion in our lives. So what it looks like is this discipleship life is a living and tangible substance of life. It's the place where he is in the midst, that his spirit leads and guides he teaches, he convicts, he heals, he releases, and he loves us into oneness in him. We hear and see Christ in each other, and our hearts are soft and malleable. We are vulnerable before each other, and faith is alive and active. Everything in the kingdom is known by its fruit, including the fruit of true discipleship. Arguments and debates in the flesh leave one. This is the fruit. They leave one with deflated faith and a sense of futility. And yet true discipleship where hearts are hungry and humble leads to hope and faith overcoming life and much joy in our oneness. It's tangible. You can tell the difference. And I really sense that Christ wants us to know what treasure he has provided for us in these discipleship environments if we would only come with this heart posture. I feel he is saying this day, will you choose life? And I want us just to take some time to truly examine our hearts and our intentions as we come into these, uh, these discipleship environments and in our everyday life. 
what he is opening up for us, this fullness of life as he's designed it. But it comes with our heart posture. Okay, that was awesome. Man, boom. Get a bit of that. It's funny, eh? It's that, that heart of love. Um, when you truly love people, you have people's best intent and people's interest at heart. And that defines everything. It's funny how the first beatitude is blessed of the poor in spirit. You know, if you think about that, why is that number one? Because this is going to define all the other ones. And it's a, it's a spiritual position within a person that they're humble in spirit. It's easy to act like you're humble and not be. But when you get the two going together, when, when from the physical demonstration is defined for an internal reality, or an internal position of spirit, it just comes out completely different. So that was cool. Right, Mel, bye. Mel's going to just share uh, testimony, give testimony. Thank you. You've got to get under seven minutes. Oh, I cannot believe I'm following up after Sandra. That, that was just like, I felt like I, I just want to kiss you. That was like just amazing. And I, I, you know, Sandra is such an example to me of, of learning and gleaning from um, because she shows me the potential of Christ and his life. And uh, that's, that's so key to me on what discipleship is. So, um, so my question was, um, what life is being produced through discipleship? And um, it was about six years ago that um, I sat on a couch and I remember it was um, our first home uh, where Kirk and I uh, got married um, and I was sitting on the couch and I was just talking to God and spending time with him and I remember reading about Peter and uh, how he was a a fisherman and just following his journey of um, you know him uh, getting really excited the zeal and the passion he had for Christ and then cutting people's ears off and then denying the Lord uh, yet by, by Acts 3.6, I remember reading for the first time how he, um, he spoke to a lame man and he said, A silver and gold I do not have, but what I do I give to you. Get up in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And my thought was, how did, how did Peter go from this man to this man? And it was the first time that the Lord really revealed to me that it, I think at that point, up to that point, having a relationship with him was enriching enough, having a relationship with him. But the, the idea that he actually wants to reveal himself in me and through me, that he actually wants to transform me into his likeness that I could demonstrate him, blew my mind. It for, for scripture to become uh, that it is truth, it is absolute truth, but for it to become a functional truth. For Peter, he heard the words of Christ, but the word became, came in him and he became, he demonstrated the word, who is Christ. And um, I, I, you know, I so related to Peter and how he has this real zeal and passion for the Lord, yet, you know, he was putting his foot in it all the time. Um, but, you know, after he denies Christ, he, um, Jesus comes and finds him and has breakfast with him. And the patience and the love he, he showed Peter, um, it, 
has been the same as how he's treated me over the years. Um, and for me, discipleship is the, the gateway into the potential life of Christ that is in us and through us. And um, I have been able to experience this life, like Peter, where I've gone from um, really just, you know, an ordinary life, but um, where, you know, sorry, I'm not, <laughs> slow down. Peter, um, you know, he's saying the wrong things all the time, yet by the end of it, he's standing before the rulers and authorities and, and speaking boldly before them and they asking what power and what name are you coming in and in my own life I, uh, I can testify to just the, the discipleship that's happened in my life in following Christ the confidence of who he is in me I've been able to at times when I am before authority I am able to, to speak boldly not of what I know but of who he is in me the power of who he is uh, in me it's I found my time my uh, other times where I've been able to uh, be in places where I'm minist- being able to minister to Christ, uh, minister Christ to people that um, don't even speak the same language as me but why I just understand that, you know, the Lord, he's not from, um, you know, he's not of a bloodline. It's this life that is above and beyond all things that are physical. But we can minister to one another and still know the unity of Christ in one another. Um, so it's, yeah, for me, the, 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 the process of how Peter went from who he is to, to how he finished I'm seeing in my own life how I have been and who I am becoming. But I guess discipleship for me with others is hearing from others around me that, that even talk about the potential of life, the potential of Christ being demonstrated. Um, it's all good to hear from one another about keeping each other in line, which is good, and seeking truth. But I also want to be around people who are demonstrating the potential of Christ that I can grow in and become more like and getting excited with one another about, um, yeah, who who he is, but what we can be in him and through him and demonstrate it. Um, and, yeah, I guess for me, uh, part of my testimony is that uh, his scriptures, the scriptures I read are not just scriptures out here, but it's becoming my life. And it's a bit uncanny at times, but... Um, I, when I read things, I actually go, man, I, I understand that. I actually, that's, I get that. And that's, that's happened in my life. I've seen that. I've, um, I understand what Christ is saying when he says this. Um, and so I, I guess for me, discipleship is the, um, not just the word, um, being here, but it's the truth and the word, uh, being found in us, revealed in us and through us. And, um, yeah, it being truth that becomes a, a functional truth, a life being demonstrated that it's not just words, but it's the word, the life of the word. Um, anyway, that's all for me. <laughs>